One, two, one, two. Check, 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 check. There's enough? What's that? Fully charged. Say, oh, it's fully charged. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so we're going to be doing chapel a little bit different now. We're going to go more to like a uh, more of like a Sunday morning experience where I'm going to be preaching to you guys. Okay, because I do want it to be used for future reference. But then at the end, I will have a time of Q and A, so it will be a little bit like a class at the end. But right now, uh, for this portion. The beginning portion, which it's going to be a chapel, you know, uh, like preaching, getting into the word. And so what you guys are going to be looking at here is basically a, a project I did for my doctoral studies on the theology of leadership. And so this is very important for us, obviously, because we want to be leaders and we need to know what the Bible says, the theology, what the Bible teaches about leadership. So we're all going to be uh, learning about that. And we'll get started here in just a minute. But before we do, maybe just a little small talk. Any anything going on in your guys' life you want to share with me real quick or any testimonies? Any goodies? Did you guys enjoy yesterday's message? Something to think about, right? It's easy to say how to love God because that's a lot of what we've been taught here in this church. But I wanted to show you why we love God. Why we love God. Joby, were you at second service last uh, yesterday? Okay. You left early without doing your assignments, correct? Uh, yeah, but I was getting By who? They said Tony They said Tony said it was okay because Tony told me he did not say that. And so there's going to be a lot of discussion about that with you, Christian, and a few others. The second service team, especially the SUM students. Well, actually, I did do what I had to do. Yeah, well, that's not what he said. That's. I don't want to get into it right now, honestly, but uh, it's, it's something that I was told and that he was not happy with, okay? So you guys really need to work that out with him. So the bottom line is going to be this. Whatever happened yesterday, he is going to talk to you about. You guys will figure it out. I can only relay what I was told, okay? When you guys work it out, it's going to look something like this. Coming early, staying late, not leaving until Tony says it's time to go. Does that make sense? Okay. Are we good? Okay. All right. Anything else? <laughs> Love you. Anything else? Um, you guys look all snuggly over there. Yeah. Yes. Is this like regarding um, anything right now? Yeah, anything. Yeah, go ahead. Um, only because uh, my first, my next class that I'm going to go into. Yes. The professor last week asked me because this month we could at least try to make it on time because we have special speakers. Yes. Um, I need to do that for you guys. I apologize. I've been really, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to we're going to end on time. We need to do that in general, okay? So we need to start ending on time. I'm, I'm sorry about that. I really am. I really. You're so humble. Oh, he's a nice man too. He's a nice man too. Anybody else before we get started? I want to let you know I love you guys. Really appreciate what you guys are doing for the Lord was uh, really excited to see what uh, some of you uh, youth leaders did for Ellie yesterday. Pastor Ellie, that was very nice. And just what God is doing throughout the ministries, you know. 
One of the things that, Tina, we talked about last week is developing our own uh, children's curriculum and replacing Royal Rangers and Impact one day. And so there's a lot of discussion about that going on behind the scenes. We talked about it uh, last week, excuse me, as Christina brought up some of her desires. And I think everything that you brought up and Christina brought up all fall under King's Kids. So parenting classes, all of these things, I think is going to be incorporated in what we're going to develop. So yeah, amen. So, the, so just like we don't use anybody else's discipleship materials, why would we do that with our children? Well, the thing is, I'm not really qualified to do that for children. That's not my gifting. So now we need to see the next level of leadership right up for those who are qualified for teaching and all of that with children and really want to make an impact in that, in that, in that way. And as I'm parenting more, I am getting a little bit more qualified, but uh, I still don't want to do it. I think it's a gift for somebody else, you know? Not that it's a bad thing. Obviously, it's an amazing thing. Yes. Um, if I were to make, if I were to design yes. Yes. No. That's all for you guys to do. Yeah. What would make you think you had to run by us? Just, I don't want to, like, overstep something I'm not familiar with. Oh, you're so nice. No, no, no. I'm sorry you guys would even think you'd have to ask that. No, I mean, freedom of speech, right? And you guys are leaders. We trust you. So, yeah, even if you're not a leader, you can do what you want, you know, with freedom of speech and, and, and expressing yourself. You know, obviously, don't be divisive, and I don't think anybody here would be, but, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, when you brought the As you're talking, I'm just going to shut off this fan because that's distracting for us. Keep going. Yes. So I was thinking, you know how nowadays there's a huge danger of mis teaching our children? Yes. I was thinking because actually one of the churches I was before, we had a Christian-based Christian church inside the church. It was a Christian school. Oh, nice. Which we even taught Bible verses, everything we taught, math and even biology, yeah, yeah. all the sciences, even math history, all was Christian-based. Cool. We even had, um, yeah, I like once you that. started middle school, you actually had a Bible class. Wow. Which actually stopped you the historical meaning of certain verses and stuff. Like yeah. That. So, yeah. I'll take off my sweatshirts. So, I was wondering you. if you... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was wrong. Um, I said to you, but so, so I wanted to bring that up because I actually was brought up in that Christian... For most of my first period of life. Two high fives like that to say how much I love that idea. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Have we not talked about that before? Having a parochial school in the vision. Remember K through 12, that big the picture. That's all there, bro. You're right. The start of it could be in us doing the King's Kids program because it's easier to start a ministry for a few hours than it is to start an entire school. But that is exactly where we want to go, my brother. Amen to that. I just wanted to also mention I knew a system that worked that way. What was it called? They're called the books were actually even called Paces. Oh, I Pace. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of the Pace program. I love that. I actually, actually really like the I Pace program. I Pace program myself. My mother actually taught me. Dude, that's the, awesome. She was the principal of Pace program, so she yeah. very well versed in that. So yes. So if you ever need to ask any of those kind of questions, Thank you. I really like that. Yeah, we're doing a homeschool thing that we like in the uh, the suburbs right now that's connected. Some of the parents here are doing it. But I was introduced to Pace a while back as, as well. And that may be something we switch to as our kids get older or something because I love what the Pace is. Pace is not age-based learning. It's basically Pace-based learning. It's, it's, it's where you're at. 
and it really encourages students to move quickly if they want to keep learning. Now, you technically can do it in homeschool, uh, the, the other kind of settings, but that, that system was built predominantly just to keep you on the right pace of where your level of learning is. And if you can do three grades in one year, PACE will help you do it. And if you need to do one grade in two years, PACE will help you do it because they want you to learn and get it done. Now, obviously, I don't think they would want you to stay in it that long, but I think you get my point. You know, it's, it's, it's very attuned to each student, right? And it's actually very really good because, you know, you don't have to worry about those special needs students because you already have that setting for them. Yeah, and to keep at the wrong pace. just sitting in the front just giving a lesson. They're yeah. there to help you. You have the questions. I love that. You and they help you through everything you need to get worked out. Amen. Thank you. All right. Are we ready? Okay. So I'll give a little. <laughs> this is for the. I always, when we do videos, I do these weird claps for him because he wants me to clap, you know, so instead of just going, you know, clap, I just do these weird little claps. Okay. All right. Welcome. All right. Let's not start that way. I don't even know how to start. How do you start something you've already started and make it look like it's natural? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. No. <laughs> Why am I so goofy right now? Let's just start. Okay. We're going to talk today about leadership and the theology behind leadership. So let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. We're going to talk about leadership, looking at the paper, the blog that I have posted on the subject. I submitted this to my theology of leadership class and my doctoral studies at Trinity. And I am so excited to present this to you here at SUM Bible College in the Chicago cohort here at our church. And I really want you guys to hear it, to think about it, and then at the end, we'll get into some questions, okay? Now, when we talk, we talk about leadership, the subject of leadership in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is going to go through the channels and through the teachings of Jesus on discipleship. So discipleship and leadership are going to be synonymous terms in the New Testament with Jesus. And then from that point on, disciples making disciples, as we would know in the church and in the epistles that they're writing to the church. So this falls right in line with my passion and all that I've been devoting my ministry towards, discipleship, okay? So what we want to learn to do is be good disciples, the disciples that Christ wants us to be. And if we are that, we will be good leaders. Now, there's some things that I'm going to be preferencing in just a little bit that I don't want to get into yet. I want to pray. But some of the things that you're going to have to start thinking through is, can a leader be a good leader without the foundation of discipleship? And that would include all areas of leadership. So could a president be a good president without discipleship? Could a general be a good general without discipleship? Could a mom be a good mom without discipleship? And what you'll see as we have time here today and, and this introduction, really, which this is going to be an introduction for this subject, and we'll get into this over the next few weeks, and I don't know how long it will take to clearly cover it, but that's what I love about SGM chapels is we could take as long as we need. Amen? Take as long as we need. We're not in a hurry here. Y'all ain't going anywhere. Amen? You guys are going to keep uh, doing good things for God, and we'll keep going through it. But one of the things that I do present in the paper in a little 
just a, a little snippet, but I want to go more in depth with here, is that is I believe that all leadership is based upon discipleship. And as we move away from discipleship is as leadership falls apart. So the best president is going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The best mother is going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Anyone that is not a disciple of Jesus Christ is not going to be able to be the best kind of leader in their field, especially when we're talking about ministry. So if you cannot be a good president without discipleship, do you think it's possible to be a good pastor without discipleship? Do you think it's good to be you think it's going to be possible to be a good children's minister or worship leader or evangelist or any of the fivefold ministries? Can you be good at that and not be a disciple? Of course not. And I'll give you some of those things to think about. But let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we get into this introduction about leadership, as we start to think about the foundations of leadership connected to discipleship. Lord, may our hearts be open to learn and to receive. And may we see the applicability of what we learn in the Bible of leadership to all facets uh, facets of life and all uh, ways that people lead. May we see that you and your character is the foundation for all good leadership. And that is what discipleship is. You transferring those characteristics to us to then give to others. So I pray that you bless our chapel and those who will watch this by video and or audio at another time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at uh, Matthew 28, 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, that is what I was mentioning before. This is the foundation for all leadership. This is the foundation for all authority. All authority belongs to who? What's his name? Who do we love? Amen. Jesus. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Jesus. Jesus. Leaders have authority. That is in the term of leadership. Authority. You have to have authority to be a good leader. It may be a minimal amount of authority, but you have to have some kind of an authority to have leadership. And we'll get into that later on, but all authority belongs to Jesus. So now do you get this idea that what we talked today in chapel about you guys being great leaders in the church, this applies to leadership everywhere. So as you as pastors, you're going to be making leaders in every part of the world. That's what I'm here to do as a pastor. When I make disciples... I'm transferring, <clears throat> excuse me, through the teachings of Jesus. Can you give me some water, good sir? When we are teaching Jesus' principles, we are transferring his authority to other people to be good leaders as he wants them to be. So whenever someone has authority and doesn't use it with the character of Christ, they are a bad leader, a bad leader. Does everybody get that? They're bad. They're not good. They're bad. So we got to stop thinking that bad doesn't mean successful, thank you, or what the world would call success. And John Bevere, <laughs> excuse me, has a book out. We'll edit this part right here, excuse me. <clears throat> Why doesn't this ever happen on Sunday morning, Sunday morning right? Mm. Yeah, praise God it doesn't happen, amen. Mm, going back to that. When you know like you're doing something like this, this makes it a hundred times harder. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I love what John Bevere said in his, or wrote about in his book, Good or God. Because a lot of us have thought that just good things or what the world calls good 
are really God things. And that's not true. And it's the same thing with leadership. You cannot be a good leader or a godly leader according to the Bible without knowing and practicing Christ's teachings. You may have earthly success with what you're doing, and everybody may say like, oh, look at Steve Jobs. He created something. <clears throat> Excuse me. He did something great. He's a good leader, but not according to the Bible if he didn't do it with Christ's ethics, with Christ's authority, with Christ's um, kingdom at his center of what he was doing. So I want to get into those kinds of things as well later, but just hear this at the beginning. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. When we look at that word disciple in the Greek, it's just simply matheteus. It simply means learner or student. So it's someone that's imitating the master, someone that's imitating their teacher, their professor, the one that's instructing them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, this is going back to the verse prior to all authority belonging to him. So the disciples that we're making are with his authority and to carry out his authority. So anyone that has God's authority and has position in this world and does not do it with Christ's character, they are in high treason against the king. So imagine I go to my daughter and I say, you know, my birthday is January 19th. And Bethany, I, I know you're old enough now to be able to pick out nice things in a store. So I want to give you $10 to pick out something for daddy. Wrap it on your own and surprise me because I want you to enjoy doing something nice for me because you are such a good daughter, right? Now imagine I give that $10 to her and she goes out and buys a Barbie and then she runs away from me and goes, tries to keep that Barbie for herself, whatever. She's in treason. She's in rebellion against me. I gave her the $10 to be given back to me as a gift. She spent it on her selfishness. You get that? She spent it on her own wants, her own needs. And so when, when God raises up kings, as the Bible says, and raises up rulers and allows uh, procreation and parents to raise up to take care of their children, and children are being borrowed to them by God. Because children don't create life. I mean, a parents don't create life that's given to parents as a gift from God, right? Now, if anybody is having this kind of authority, a parent, a, a king, a businessman, they have this kind of authority on earth, but they're not doing it with Christ's character. They're not giving that glory back to him. They're not bowing that authority to his will for the place where they're at. So if Steve Jobs doesn't take that authority and use it as a place to glorify God, he's in high treason against God. He's a rebel against God. He's not a good leader. He's a bad leader. Why? Because he's having the authority that God gave to him, and he's using it and spending it for his own selfish means. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He says, therefore, go and make disciples, students of all nations. So in Christ's kingdom, all nations, all people are to be his disciples. Is that selfish of Jesus? No, Jesus has been given this. Who gave it to him? The Father. Why was it given to him? Because he could dunk a ball into a metal rim? He could, he could kick a rubber ball into a net down a soccer field? Was he given this because he could hit a high note? 
because he was creative, he was an artist. No, no, no. He was given the authority because he was the sinless, spotless <clears throat> Lamb of God that was meant to be the sacrifice <clears throat> Excuse me for the entire world. He was the sacrifice for the entire world. God help my throat today. Jesus, I love you so much. So I want you to think about this. I want you to, <clears throat> excuse me, put this in your heart today and really ask yourself this question. Do I come under Christ's authority? And do I make being his student, a disciple, the criteria by which I judge all my life's ambitions and success? Because if I am not wanting to be great for God, if I am not wanting to lead greatly for God, if I am not wanting to use God's authority for God's kingdom, I'm outside of his blessing. I'm outside of his plan in that one sense. And because of that, he will destroy me and continue his plan without me. Does that make sense? So I want to be a part of the plan of God. The whole world needs to be a part of this kingdom and submit to it. All nations, all nations are being invited to come and submit to this kingdom. We don't believe in some fatalistic sense of predestination. We believe that predestination is based upon God's foreknowledge of knowing who chooses him. But his invitation is a genuine invitation to the world that all would become his disciples. He is not wanting that any would perish, that any would go outside of that. But he is in patience, long-suffering, wanting all to come to repentance. Amen? So how many of the nations does Jesus want to disciple? All. How many of the people in all nations does Jesus want to disciple? All people in all nations. How much authority does Jesus have? All authority. Now we get this ordinance this church-based initiation into his kingdom rightly to be given his authority, and that's being baptized. Baptize them in the name, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so you see that God wants all people of all nations <clears throat> to be saved, discipled, and to symbolize that they have come under his authority by being baptized. The authority, I don't need a minute, thank you. It's, it's just something so weird right now that I need Jesus. So. All of us need to come under that authority, receive salvation. We baptize those who are saved. We baptize those who are the disciples, those who have chosen to follow Christ. You see, make disciples, baptizing them. You're baptizing a disciple, right? Are you guys seeing that? And what that baptism symbolizes is coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. Coming under his authority. Symbolizing that you are testifying that Jesus is Lord. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, you have become new as well. And that through your confession of faith, you are pledging your allegiance to his kingdom. And so this is your citizenship. Uh, being made public to everybody. So salvation is an inward work of the Holy Spirit. This baptism is a church outward work 
to show your commitment to Christ and your initiation into the body of Christ, into Christ's kingdom, which church and kingdom of God are synonymous in the Bible as well. Leadership, discipleship, synonymous, church, kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within the church now, and the church will manifest the kingdom of God when Christ returns to rule and reign with him. Discipleship, leadership, synonymous, church, kingdom of God, synonymous. Everything that Jesus has done is for the glory of his Father through the church uh, and for the church. So it's church and God's glory are together working out the purpose of God's kingdom and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So those who have chosen to follow Christ, to be his disciples, to be his disciples, are initiated into the church through this baptism that the church does to now begin to establish the kingdom of God, the rightful rule and reign of Christ upon the earth. And they are to do it by now teaching others to obey everything he commanded the ones who were taught it first where we get the inspiration of Holy Scripture. The inspiration of Holy Scripture is all that Christ has to teach the church, all that Christ has to teach humanity. And so through those scriptures of these apostles, these original disciples, we now teach all nations. I wonder if you saw it that clearly before. See, hasn't this passage now opened up to you a new theology of leadership? Because we see at the very end, the promises is that I am with you to the very end of the age. What is the age that we're in right now? We are in the age of the church breaking forth into this world, the kingdom of God, the rulership of God, the authority of God upon the earth. And when this has been preached, when this has been done to all people of all nations and they have made their decision, Christ now comes back and rules and reigns with his people. This is what he said must happen in Matthew 24. And this gospel, also in Mark uh, 16 as well. This gospel must be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. And Mark 16 says, that's Matthew 24, Mark 16 says that, that whoever believes and is baptized is saved, whoever doesn't believe is damned. And, and it's, the disciples then, it says, went out and preached the, go the gospel everywhere, and the Lord worked with them with the signs that were following. So the Lord is working with his church. Okay, so let's just review this in the introduction. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to who? Jesus. Jesus. And with his authority, he says to the original disciples, therefore go and now make disciples of all the nations, for all the people in all the nations. And then we see that those who are disciples, who want to be a part of this, get initiated into the church, get initiated into the kingdom by baptism. And the baptism is in the name of our one God, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God of the universe. And what those people will now do is teach everything Jesus has commanded, and they will have the promise that Christ will be with them 
until it has reached the end of the age, and the last part of the end of this age is the gospel being preached to all the nations. So what is the theology of leadership? And just a simple word, the theology of leadership is discipleship. That's what it is. It's discipleship. Now, what does discipleship produce? Well, if you look to our notes, I'll skip ahead a little bit just to give you a definition of leadership so we don't have to work. I'll wait till next week. <clears throat> but this is what leadership is according to the Bible. This is what discipleship is according to the Bible. It's grounded upon loving relationships with God and people that are revealed by the Holy Spirit in serving and equipping others to reflect the image of God within their purpose for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And so we'll get into this more in depth later, but you could just simply say discipleship is grounded upon loving relationships with God and people, the two greatest commands. We call these the great commandments. Revealed by the Holy Spirit in serving and equipping. We call that the Great Commission. The Great Commission is serving and equipping. It's making disciples. We're serving them through meeting their needs and going out among them, giving them of what we have. Freely we've received, freely we give. And then equipping them. That includes teaching. That includes mentoring. That includes accountability. Why? So that they may reflect the image of God within their purpose. And we'll get into this, this image of God. We talked a little bit about it, um, a bit about it last Sunday, yesterday. But there's so much in that. Everything about us giving God glory comes back to the image of God in us. In Latin, the Imago Dei. Us reflecting who He is for the purpose that He gave us whether that's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden reflecting God's glory by naming the animals, by having dominion, or whether it's over you in school doing what you do as a student or a mother or father. Whenever we are saved, born again, we are given the revelation, the revealing of Christ within us to reflect His image to God Himself first because it pleases God to see Himself in us and then for the sake of the world. And that's God's glory. And it's through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at leadership, we look at discipleship. When we look at discipleship, we look at leadership. And we can't do that without a theology of who God is. And why God does what he does. And so now we're not just talking about you guys being leaders because you read some book on leadership that taught you how to win friends and influence people. We're not talking about being a leader because you watched the documentary of Steve Jobs and now you're going to hire and fire people like him. When we're talking about leadership, we're talking about discipleship for the glory of God. For all the nations to come under the authority of Christ. And of course, right now, there is a, a war going on for that, for the hearts of men. Christ has already defeated the devil. That's sin and the devil and death, hell, and the grave. That's already been defeated. But the hearts of men are at what's at stake now. It's the heart of men. 
It's, it's whether or not you will come under that authority and be a disciple that makes disciples of all nations, teaching all nations what Christ commanded, or whether or not you will take on another purpose. What kind of father are you going to be? Is it for the glory of God? Because fathers are leaders. What kind of mother are you going to be? Mothers are leaders. What, what kind of worker are you going to be? Because workers are leading in something. They're doing something to help others. Well, are you going to be that for the glory of God or your own selfish desires? And so what I want us to look at in the weeks ahead, and I think today we'll stop and take some questions because I do believe that discussion is going to be a key part of this. As we begin to look at some of the weeks ahead, and you can go, go ahead and read this paper, uh, I was limited to 20 pages, and I went right to the mark. I mean, I couldn't go into more than, any, than what I have there to, to, to respect the, the professor and the grade. It was 12 to 20 pages, and I hit right at 20. And, you know, At this level of learning, you don't want to go above that. And so I know what I need to add into this. this. This will be one day a book on leadership. There are two books that God has placed in my heart to write. I need to finish, first of all, editing our 365 devotional and get that legitimately printed out in one big book and then 12 smaller books, monthly books. Um, but I want to write a book on grace and our identity in Christ and probably name it. It's all about that grace. And then, uh, and then I want to write a book on leadership and it'd be something like leadership equals discipleship, just something catchy like that that just helps people understand. But this is where we start. This is our foundation. Okay, And so we'll get into in the weeks ahead, we'll get into the problems that I see when we look at this definition of leadership and discipleship, the problems that, that I have with some of the main teachers in the church today. And it's not a superficial like attack against them or saying they're not Christians, but it's going to address the problems that I have with John Maxwell, Rick Warren, and Bill Hybels. And it's going to really draw out kind of what, what American church leadership teaching looks like today and I want to challenge it I want to challenge it to its core I want to rock it you know what I'm saying I want to rock it hard you know and uh, I want I want people to rethink what they're calling leadership and why they're doing leadership because what I think we have done well I know we've done it and uh, I shouldn't say I think because I know we have done it and I I believe it's so true what I believe we have done is we've literally changed the definition of leadership and therefore have changed what we call successes in leadership. And it has nothing now to do with the Bible. So imagine if um, we're playing soccer and all of a sudden I pick up the ball and I start running with it. And then I run into the, the netted area and say, I just scored a point. You guys are going to look at me and say, no, there is, there, you don't even know the rules of soccer. You didn't score a point. You just, you just touched the ball with your hands. You, you committed a foul. The other team gets the ball. And then I would say, no, 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 no. You know, I'm changing the rules now of soccer. Soccer now, I can pick up the ball and I can run with it like a football, like a football game. You would say, no, you can't change the game of soccer. You can play a different game. You can make another game and call it rugby or whatever game, picks up balls and runs with it, uh, football. But you can't change the game of soccer and be legitimately playing soccer. And that's what I think has happened in the church is that people have totally changed what leadership is, and they're saying, we're scoring points. 
There's people in the ministry, there's churches going, we're scoring points for God. Look at us, we're scoring points. We have 100 points on the board. And, and in reality, it's like, no, you're picking up the ball. You're making fouls is what you're doing. The whistle's been blown a long time ago. You're just playing make-believe. The real soccer players left and went to another field to play the real game of soccer. You guys who are here that are now left playing this, you guys who are left doing this, you guys are doing something that's not soccer. You should stop calling it soccer, right? And so when we look at churches that are doing this, we, we, we should stop calling this church success. We should stop calling it pastoring. We should stop calling it teaching. We should just, just stop calling it that. Call it motivational speaking. Call it a self-help class. Call your church a learning institute for bettering your life, whatever. But just stop calling it the church. Stop calling it pastoring. Stop, stop calling it by biblical terms, because the biblical terms that we have are very biblical. They're very biblical. They're based in the Bible. They, they have biblical meanings. They have terms that are supposed to mean something. You, you, you can't read the Bible and go to, to somebody, you know, this became popular when I was in youth group. You would read the Bible, and, they, and you would just go right to the, the Bible study, the people in your Bible study, and you go, well, what does this mean to you? And, and then every young person could say what it meant to them, you know, so I could read something about discipleship here. Well, what this means is, is that, you know, I should be an artist and I should paint pictures. No, 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 that's, that's not what it means in its context. You just took it and made it whatever you want it to be, and now somehow you're thinking God's in on that. That's not how we should read the Bible. We should say, God, what did you mean by this? So the question I should be asking in the Bible study is not, not what are you getting out of this, but what does Jesus want you to get out of this? What does this passage mean? What, is, what, is, what does the Great Commission mean? What did God want it to mean? And so we need to stop changing definitions, right? We need, we need to come to a real humility in the church and go, yeah, we've probably messed it up quite a bit here. We, we haven't been doing this. We need to be humble. We need to admit it. And then we need to come back and go, Lord, heal us. And, and make us whole and have us get back to doing this. And so uh, before I get to some of the questions, just, you know, one of, the, one of the pet peeves that I deal with in here is this idea that because we have a lot of nickels and noses that we're now authorities in the church world. And that's where I like to say, if we're counting nickels and noses, then, then Oprah Winfrey's the best pastor I know, right? Because she's got more nickels and noses than everybody, more than Joel Osteen, more than Andy Stanley, more than all of them. She's the best pastor I know, right? She's the most successful leader that's helping change people's lives. If that's what you call leadership, just helping change people's lives, giving them little, little nice little tidbits, help them be a better mom, help them be a better dad. No, that's, that's not what the Bible calls leadership. That's not what the Bible calls success, right? If worship is selling a bunch of albums and motivating people to, to have a good time or whatever, then U2 is the best worship band I know, right? U2 is the best worship band. If you listen to U2 music, mostly uplifting, tells you a lot of truth. I don't think they lie a lot. Helps you see yourself in a better way. You feel motivated, easy to sing along with. Well, then U2 is the best worship band I know. Certainly not Hillsong or Jesus Culture. Because if worship is not for the glory of God and accomplished through the means 
that God gives us through the means. See, the means of how we reach our end are just as important as the end. And we're going to get into that. So if we're not using the means of God to glorify God, we're offering up strange fire to God. And we're saying, God, here's a golden calf that I made for you. You should love that golden calf, God, because I don't call the golden calf Baal. I'm calling, calling the golden calf you. That's what they did. I'm calling the golden calf the one who delivered us out of bondage. I'm just offering this up to you. And God is saying, hold on. I don't want any image like that. I don't want anything like that. You're offering that up to me, but that's not what I asked for. Therefore, what you're offering up is not worship. It's idolatry. And I wonder if there's a lot, a lot of things being offered up to God being called worship that are really idolatry. Right? I offer this up to you, God. This is for you. And God is saying, no, that's a strange fire. That, that's, that's idolatry. I didn't ask for that. I want the means of how you end in worship to be both for my glory. In, uh, I want the means to be for my glory just like the end is for my glory, not pragmaticism. And so if you look at what pragmaticism says, in a nutshell, is if it works, it, it's probably right. So this statement would be good for a pragmaticist. Torture children behave better than non-torture children. So let's start torturing children to have children behave better. So you, let's say you did an experiment. One child is told to go to bed at 10 o'clock on their uh, 9 or 8 o'clock, you know, 8 o'clock for our children. Go to bed at 8 o'clock. You watch the parent, you know, little cameras in the room. Child, go to bed at 8 o'clock. No, I don't want to go to bed. There's a little, you know, argument going on, and the parent has to do X, Y, and Z, you know, and, 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 and so eventually the child goes to bed at 8.30, right? The other house, is, there's the experiment. Child, go to bed at 8 o'clock. No. They strap the child. It's, it's a disgusting analogy, but follow through. They strap the child to the wall and then whip the child 30 times till the child's back is laid open with blood. And now it says, go to bed at 8 o'clock. Tomorrow, the other child without torture, ah, they're still wrestling with mom and dad. They're arguing a little bit. Child who was tortured the night before 8 o'clock, oh, I'm going to bed at 8. So now what do we do? Do we start implementing torturing our children because it worked? Save the, save, we'll save the parent about three months of training them, torture them one time. They're good, right? Well, if we make a 20-minute sermon, brings more people to the Lord, brings more people into the church, then it must be God because it worked. See, the means of how we do something need to be just as godly as the end of what we're trying to do that something for. Do you understand? And so if we're trying to say, oh, I, the means don't matter. The mean, it don't matter. Just whatever method we use, as long as it's for the glory of God, it's okay. As long as it ends up glorifying God, that's awesome. No, because the means matter. How we worship God matters. How we offer up to him our lives matters. And so if God says, I want you to preach for three hours every Sunday. But God, I started with the church of 500, and now there's only 20 of them left because I keep preaching three hours. They're going to the church down the road, and they've left. I now have lost people. God, God could look at you. If he told you to do that, God could look at you and say, and that brought me glory. And that brought me glory. God could say to you, and that is what pleased me. The 20 you now have, you're ready to have church with. 
Sounds like a story in the Bible, right? Sounds like who? Gideon? Gideon, you got too many. Tell them to go down here, do this, do that, do that. God, we already don't have enough as it is, let alone you're telling me I have too many? God says, yeah, because I give the victory. And so I want you to get victory the way I want you to get victory. The victory is important, and how you get the victory is important. Both of them, means and end, give God glory and need to give God glory. We don't change it in human thinking because it works better. Because that's when we come out of his authority. And so that's what leadership is going to be about, right? It's going to be about learning how to come under his authority. Be a disciple that makes disciples judging our own self according to the word. Being introspective with the word of God. Saying, Lord, am I under your authority? Am I doing it for your glory? And am I using the means that bring you glory? And then when a point is scored, we can all rejoice and say, we did it the way Christ wanted us to do it. And we got to the end, the glory for Christ. And we're excited about that. Does that apply to every sector of life? Absolutely. If Apple is doing things they shouldn't do, but yet they're making more money, they need to submit to the teachings of Christ and make less money for the glory of God. Sounds like a company I've heard of. Any companies you know that decided to make less money, cut themselves off from a day, Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, and then God in the long run blessed them, but he said, cut it off. You cut off Sunday for my glory because my means of how you do business are just as important as the end of why you do business. See? What if they never got all that money back? What if they didn't? It doesn't matter for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. So let's stop judging by false weights and false criteria. Let's stop trying to change definitions. Let's go back to what Christ told us to do. And you can go back into the Crusades. Well, we're going to go kill everybody for the glory of God. Hold on, did God tell us to do that? Don't think so, right? But if he told us to defend ourselves against Muslims who are now killing everybody for the glory of God, it's time to go to war. Amen? But there's a difference. Are we killing for land in our glory, our own glory, or are we killing for God and his glory? Why do we go to war? Don't you want a general that knows the difference? Hello? There's a time for war, is there not? Are you guys pacifists? Is anybody here a pacifist? Let me know because I want to know when it's coming down to, when it's, when it's going down, I need to know who's got my back. Is anybody here a pacifist? No. We believe there's a time for war. War is for God's glory. How do we fight war? With the means that God gives us. We look to the Old Testament. We look to the times when governments had to rule rightly with the sword, and we say those are the means of how we rule. I'm not ashamed of the God of the Old Testament, are you? He's an awesome leader. He's an awesome general. Well, what about the time he killed all the, the Canaanites or all this for the glory of God? Amen. Would you do it? Absolutely, I would have done it. Wicked pagans who refused to repent for the glory of God. Wicked pagans who did nothing but revile God, sacrifice their own children. And God says, it's time to kill them all. It's time to kill them all. Of course, it would be against what I would say was the best idea, but I'm not God. Would I trust him? Absolutely. Do I think he's going to say that again? No. But he did it for the people of Israel. If you were in the people of Israel at that time, would you have done it? See? 
you have to ask yourself that question. If I was an Israelite and God said to kill their children, would I have done it? Don't look at the Bible and just say, I would only be a leader when it feels comfortable. The men were told to go in and kill even children. That's what, that's what a leader does. When it's time for these men to drop their bombs on these, these cities after these terrorists have lived there for so long and have entrenched themselves into families and things, and now the civilians have become a part of the war, what do we do? You've got to bomb them and kill them all. I don't think God is commanding all war and all those things, but I think there's a time when true leadership is tested in times of war. What will you do? I'm not ashamed of the God of the Bible. Don't you be either. Amen? Amen. Praise God for his glory. Any questions? Yes. 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 When you have a place to speak to them, absolutely. That's what we do. We speak to everybody we have influence with. Everybody we have influence with, we should tell them whether or not they're lining up with the teachings of Christ. So if, if you're best friends with the president, you should be talking to him right now. Or if you have his number, you should be talking to him. If you have a friend that's your boss, you should be talking to him. It's all for the bettership of their company, for the better of what they're doing. All of that is for the glory of God. Yeah, so you should be instructing them on what it is. Now, you get into the book of Proverbs and how we should instruct, you know. A wise man remains silent, the Bible talks about, you know. And so he doesn't spill, spill forth all that he knows. You, you need to know the proper time to do that because otherwise they're just going to not receive it and, and just think of it as being silly. But I think there's a way that we share knowledge. Daniel was in Babylon. He didn't go there preaching every day, but he knew how to get the point across of who he was. Amen? Joseph was in Egypt. He knew how to be used for the glory of God. So there, there's, there's a wisdom that the book of Proverbs, like I mentioned, teaches us how to be um, sharers of, uh, of wisdom, how to do it. There's a protocol. There's a spirit-led way of doing it, you know? Jesus didn't spend every day in the temple trying to teach them how to do it, and he didn't spend a whole lot of time going to Rome with Caesar. He didn't even go there. He, he just had a plan that God told him to do, and he spent time with the people he was supposed to be with, and he influenced them the way he was supposed to influence them and, and, and to shape them, to serve them. Let's go beyond just the word influence. He served them and he equipped them. He served them and he equipped them, right? Amen. A lot to think about. Any other questions? Uh, hold on to that comment just for the end. But do you understand that leadership is Christ's initiation? It's his call. It's his, it's his duty to, to bear the responsibility. Going back to that soldier in Israel going to kill the Canaanites, that's God's responsibility now because the same God who had spoke to us before, the same God who parted uh, the Jordan, who brought us here, it's his responsibility now. He is their creator. and He says their time is done, their families, all of that. It's his responsibility now. See, I trust God. See, some people would say, well, you guys are lunatics by trusting God. No, you trust yourself. I trust God, you trust yourself. That's the truth. Yes, sir. Go ahead, quickly, yes. And then you may have to hold that comment and head to class then, please. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, amen. There's a question, and I don't know if Josh could be heard because we got the fan here. Is when did I start coming into this? For me, it's like a longing for Christ, 
and you're in the church and you're just seeing that it's not lining up with what you're reading in your Bible. And so that was just a longing from day one. You know, you go into a building. I was in a lot of big churches growing up as a kid. So you go into a big building, you see a procedure going on, call church, you know, songs, clapping, whatever, you know, then, then announcements and then preaching. And then it kind of ends, you know, and literally you were ushered in and you were ushered out. And there's this, this sense in my heart of, uh, there was a sense in my heart of longing, you know, like, God, what, where are you in the midst of this? You know, I hear you a little bit in the preaching. I feel you a lot in the worship, but where, where are you in this? And then I began to realize that, that Christ was with his church. The two or three gathered in his name, and those were the people he was advancing his kingdom through. You know, not just that gathering, but what we were doing outside of that gathering and what we were doing on our own with, you know, with that group, with that community, not on our own, but with that community. And so that, that's, that was my passion for discipleship. And because so, I love souls, I love to win souls, I was an evangelist at heart, as you win them to the Lord and you bring them into these, these institutions, you know, it, it was very disappointing because they weren't experiencing all that I was experiencing, you know, because I had a, a, lot of, um, a lot of time outside of church spent with God. And some people, all they were doing was just coming to church, and that was all they were knowing about God. And so then I began to realize that, that God is on the, the, the drive to work, you know, and God is in, in my home at the Bible study with my family, and, and God is in the communication with my brother and sister and that accountability time, and God is in that. And so I began to develop what we'll use a lot here, this word is robust, a, a more robust, a deeper, bigger definition of what Christianity was. And, and then I looked at the Bible, and I'm like, that's why I'm longing for this. I'm longing for what Jesus did. Jesus is in a circle with his people, and his mother and brothers come to look for him, and they say, "Go, you know, they're looking for you, and, and almost in one sense, go be with them. And he says, man, this is my mother. This is my brother. This is my sister, those who do the will of God. And so I just began to instantly understand that if Jesus could put Mary on blast that way, it's like, dude, who am I to say this is what I need? No, I, I don't need an institution. I don't need an earthly father and mother primarily. What I need is the will of God and the people of God. And you, you just hunger for that, right? Don't you guys have that in your heart? Like you just, you hunger for the will of God. Amen? So second question there. We become it first. That's just what it says here. You are a disciple that makes disciples. So you got to become it. This is my best, uh, uh, my best advancement of it in this realm. The man who's a businessman, like a Chick-fil-A, he has to be that in his realm. Uh, the Hobby Lobby guy in his realm. People in the mu music ministry in their realm. They need to take what they have, be a disciple, and make disciples. This, this is not the cause of a revolution in the sense of tearing down systems that are already there because we didn't build those systems. Those systems owe us nothing. What, what we do here is instead of protesting is we build them the right way from the bottom up. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem and now crown himself chief priest and say, this is how you're going to do it. 
Jesus started what the church was. And so we start what we're supposed to be in ourselves. We start businesses. We start uh, ministries. We start those things. And then we're, if we're working with others, then we are there under their authority that God has given them, and we give them the best advice. That's why I was using the example of Daniel and uh, Pharaoh, because, uh, I mean, Daniel and uh, Joseph. And then in those situations where we can't start a nation or go back home to be with Abraham, our father, or, or I mean, uh, go back home to be with Jacob, whatever, you know, we, we teach them that what we know. We say, this is, what, this is how the kingdom works. This is what, it, this, you want to know? This is how. But the way those guys did it is they didn't do it by protesting Pharaoh. They didn't do it by protesting Babylon. They just said, we won't eat this. Like in Daniel's situation, we won't eat this, but we're going to pray three times a day and eat this, and we're going to do this. And people started to notice how much more wisdom they had. So, so that's how we do it. I'm not, in, I'm not interested in some type of like a takeover of like, you know, a denomination and say, now become like this, you know, like, no, it's, it's pointless to me. That's not my denomination. That is, you know, it's God's obviously, but that's, that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to be the church. Let us be the church and start a denomination. Let's be the church and build a hundred more churches. Let us do it to the point like how it is now where pastors read our books and say, I want to do what you're doing. That, that's it. Let, let the rest of them stand um, before God for what they've called leadership, you know? We, we've put out this video. We've put out opportunities for people to learn. So now it's on them. Just like the same thing with the gospel. Jesus is not ramrodding it down people's throat either. You know, the gospel goes out like a trumpet across the earth. You know, boom, hear it, repent, come to Christ. If you don't, you can do whatever you want with the rest of your life, but you're going to be held accountable to that gospel. Does that make sense? So I, I, I came to this over a lifetime of studying through a hunger. And then uh, how do we influence? Do we do it? Uh, how do we serve and equip? We do it where we're at, you know, and we look to people that started things, and we look to people that helped things. And so Christ started things, apostles started things, and then we look into the Old Testament of, you know, people being in things, and we see, like Daniel and Joseph, how they helped change those things. Yes? In one sense, yes. Because that's what Jesus says at the end. They are kings and priests unto God. So everybody in the kingdom of God is supposed to be a leader. And now for all leaders, the idea is who are we then serving? Well, then there's ranks of leadership. That's what I was about to get into. I've, yeah. I've always wondered that. Like, yeah. how do you, like, say, let's, you know, you know I, I like, raised up with a bunch of people, and we all yeah. trying to be leaders. But yeah. we're all trying to be leaders, and we all have different ways. And, you, know, you have different purposes. Have different purposes. That's the, that's the the great structure of, of the church. And then there's structures and businesses. So the structure of the church is there's going to continue to be raising up of leaders, and there's going to be elders and deacons, elders and deacons, and they're going to keep spreading out doing that for the, for the world. Now, the Bible says the whole world doesn't get saved. So there's always going to be a need for someone to lead someone else to Christ, right? Then when the millennial kingdom comes, we, the church, are all now the leaders of the world. So there is no more opportunity to raise up into leadership into that sense unless you are the sons of God and the sons and daughters of God will rule. Now, you know, we may have people working in their jobs and all that, but in that one sense, we are the kings and priests of God. That is a settled title. Now, for a company, yeah, at some point, if I'm on my job and I'm the last one on the totem pole, I may not be a leader to those people around me on that job. 
but what job I'm doing, I can do well as a disciple of Christ and begin to lead through that so that the company grows and that we have to hire more employees. And then those employees are taught by the standard that I've, I've lived up to, right? So there's the expansion. There's this idea of having dominion, being fruitful and multiplying. And so there should always be that sense of you just look like in the family. If every father and mother have a child and every child goes and leaves their father and mother to start a family, there's always leaders making leaders, leaders making leaders, right? There's always a, a multiplication, and that's how God designed it. After the millennial reign, we don't know much about that because we don't have uh, anybody else to rule over. It's only us. It's only the children of God. And at that point, we see that leadership, discipleship, was the means to the end, ultimate glory of God. And the ultimate glory of God is all people being leaders among themselves. And I don't even know what we'll be doing that time other than having a, a river come from the throne of God with trees and we'll be eating the trees. That's all we really know for those people. So we got to close on that. We, I'm sorry, we'll get to those questions maybe next week. Write them down. Father, we thank you for this class. Help us, uh, this chapel, help us to understand who you are more so that we can be more like you and to be the kind of people in this world that influence and change the world for, the, for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Whew, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. What happened? It was like a 58 Chevy. She wouldn't start up. It was like cold outside. You ever have one of those neighbors, you hear them, you know, trying to warm up their car? Is that Wampler? That Chevy or, yeah, that truck he has. And it's like my biggest pet peeves. To, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is for guest speakers or whatever to keep clearing their throat. But I just couldn't get it out. And it wasn't a minute that I needed. I just needed the phlegm to lift off, off my throat. Yeah, that's what I needed, dude. <laughs> I, you know, I probably should have did it one good time. But I kept underestimating the power of that phlegm. That was something. <laughs> I underestimated. It got the best of me. I'm almost wondering if I should redo the whole session. Should I redo that session? I mean, is it that distracting? It felt distracting. Okay. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.